You are listening to Beyond the Verse, a Star Citizen podcast. A show dedicated to Cloud Imperium games, Star Citizen and Squadron 42. Whether you fight, explore, unite, and or trade, we bring you news, updates, interviews, reviews, and analysis. So sit back, relax, grab yourself a pour of Radagast, and join us as we go Beyond the Verse. Launch sequence activated. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 13 of Beyond the Verse, Star Citizen podcast with your host, Solus. And I hope this finds everybody well. It has been an action-packed last six days. Uh, if you remember episode 12, we aired on Friday morning. It was a little bit of a, a different week uh, for me. And so everything was pre-recorded. We weren't live. Well, here we are. It's nice to be back in the saddle, ready to go for this episode. We're dubbing distractions. And it's not going to take long for us to get into that conversation. So episode 13, distractions. Let's get going. So what you can look forward to in this episode, um, we are going to be covering this week in Star Citizen. There's a lot to have covered uh, or to uncover. Tuesday, we had a Galactopedia update with Lit- Whitley's guide, the Cyclone. Wednesday, we had a roadmap update and roundup with Squadron 42 monthly report. Today, we had so much information drop between Alien Week, Alien Ships, 319.1 dropped. We'll talk about the patch notes uh, towards the end of this uh, of this podcast, we have an Inside Star Citizen that discussed the Centauk Y'all and the whole sea. A lot to get excited about. We'll end with the Tumbral Storm question and answers. Uh, and again, we have so much to discuss today that unfortunately, we will not be having the Squadron 42 Lord Deep Dive. There's way too much to discuss. It is Alien Week. It is uh, First Contact Day celebration, so let's knock that out. We will hit up Squadron 42's story next week, and this is a sincere promise to all listeners and viewers. You will get your Squadron 42 fix next week. Okay, why am I calling this distractions? So, Sunday happened. This past Sunday, a couple of days ago, uh, Bethesda's Starfield did their showcase. They aired an amazing 45-minute-ish demonstration video on Starfield. Um, And you know what? I have not been recording. Someone had to do the podcast. I've not been recording the podcast portion. Uh, Funny. So (laughs) I'll have to merge the two. But... They did this amazing 45-minute demonstration, a presentation of Starfield, and there was a lot to get excited about. Now, the content creators I know um, are, they were watching it, they were uh, streaming it, uh, they were watching it side by side. The people I watched was the Astro Historian or the Astro Pub and Space Tomato. They did a really good job, great commentary. Uh, but the whole Star Citizen community, as far as who I talk with, watched and enjoyed. And it was an amazing, again, 45 minutes of a good single-player Skyrim up in space. And so it wasn't even done yet. 
the the demonstration or the presentation wasn't even done yet and i ended up taking that distracted boyfriend meme you can go on my socials and find it but i took that distracted boyfriend meme where he's walking with uh, his girlfriend and notices somebody like a bypasser and he's looking over his shoulder that one and i simply dubbed the distraction as starfield and his girlfriend as squadron 42. it blew up never once in my entire content creation career uh have i had over eight thousand impressions <laughs> like this this was an amazing tweet that went a long ways and of course um it was a diptych in reactions on one side of the aisle they were like yeah can't wait starfield 2 or starfield is gonna be great we're gonna have a lot of fun in it and then people were very defensive of squadron 42 like, what do you mean no one's leaving squadron 42 and it actually ended up sparking this uh not debate but a very colorful reaction i made a reaction video to it uh the very next morning and i submitted it and i just i want to go on record during my podcast to simply say that it is okay to like all three games right squadron 42 single player star citizen which is the persistent universe right just like grand theft auto online red dead redemption online and starfield it's okay to like them all hell it's even okay to like Baldur's gate and all these other games that are coming out i'm sure some of us are playing diablo 4 some of us played harry potter when it came out it's okay to like multiple games and i just want to encourage that that was more of the meaning behind my post is that it's a distraction people that have spent money and are invested in this cig endeavor they're not going anywhere we're not leaving there's there's no reason for us to leave there's a lot to get excited about and in this episode we will cover a lot of that now on my socials this is very deliberately a star citizen podcast and i will continue creating content for star citizen but it's also called beyond the verse and i'm very smart with my branding <laughs> like uh, i don't want to necessarily pigeonhole uh, the podcast to never talk about any other game now we won't do lore deep dives we won't go into updates and any sort of long form conversation about another game but I will kind of point over here to my right and show you this very nice uh, controller that's a limited edition Starfield controller. And I will have more unboxing videos and things to celebrate um, other games. And I think that's okay. In fact, I want to encourage it. It's a healthy, healthy thing, especially with Star Citizen, to get into other content, to get into other games in between patches. So. I think that's all I'm going to say about this. We have distractions as gamers, whether they're good distractions or bad distractions. Right now, we're all kind of in this uh, honeymoon phase of Starfield. We can't wait for it to come out September 1st if you have early access. Uh, we can't wait for it to come out. Um, and then the image that I used on this, this YouTube thumbnail is actually a merger. I took uh, my favorite wallpaper of Baldur's Gate 3, and my favorite wallpaper of Starfield, and I merged the two because those are my distractions. In August and September, that is all I'm gonna be thinking about, right? No matter Citizen Conrad around the corner in October. And again, I think that's I think that's a good thing. I think it's good for us to try other things. And here's another like, maybe another way of looking at this. A success in Starfield 
is actually good for our community. It's good, again, for us to take a break away from the ins and outs of Star Citizen, but it also builds that community of space gamers that might not be interested in Star Citizen, but they're going to be interested in Starfield, a Bethesda fan, a Skyrim fan. They're going to jump into this game, and they're going to be like, man, I really love the space concept. I really wish I could XYZ. And that XYZ is how Star Citizen is going to capture Right? It's how they're going to win back or it's how they're going to acquire um, or even retain, not to use the war acronym, but that's how they're going to grab more of the community is, hey, you know, that's fun in Starfield doing it all by yourself. Now imagine a universe that you can do it with family and friends. All right, I'm done pitching. <laughs> that's pitching. I didn't use the B word. All right, here we go. So let's get into the meat and potatoes of our podcast. Let's go into this week in Star Citizen. We'll just discuss quickly uh, what dropped on Monday or what Intel dropped on Monday. Um, I don't need to share my screen or anything, but let me just go straight into June hosts our annual Alien Week in honor of First Contact Day, which kicks off this Thursday break. If you're new to the podcast, you're new to lore, basically First Contact Day uh, is whenever humans from Earth or Soul, the Soul System, humans made contact with Jerry, uh, the code name that they gave the first Banu. So they came in contact with Banu. They ended up signing a peace treaty and moving forward. That was the first contact. That was the first time that the alien races or a single alien race interacted with the human race. So that's what we're celebrating here. Um, back to the article. Alongside a bevy of alien-themed content, we're also hosting a series of Bar Citizen events this weekend, one near every one of our studios. That's LA, Austin, Montreal, Manchester, and Frankfurt. Join your fellow citizens and CIG developers for a weekend of camaraderie. We'll have plenty of goodies to give away as well. For details on the event nearest you, head over to the last week's Spectrum announcement. Hope to see you there. For those of you in the Austin, Texas area, I will be there. Yes, it's Father's Day, and I got uh, explicit consent from my family to be at this event. So I'll be there. I think I confirmed on Galactica stream yesterday, Galactica's going to be there. I'm sure Jake's going to be there. That's an assumption. I don't know. Um, but I'm really excited about seeing everybody again. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's like central to south Austin. Um, it's always, always a good time. We'll get into some of the alien drops, but there's something that I'm very interested in that might only be given to those who attend Bar Citizen. So stay tuned in the next couple of minutes. There's like a Banu Tholo, I think it's called, but we'll take a look at it. We'll read about it. I think I have no Intel supporting this, but I think it's like the Banu box that's been given out at some of these events, right? It's an aesthetic or it's a FPS thing for your hanger. So Again, I don't have a lot of intel backing that up. That's just my, my assumption. Last but certainly not least, back to the article. Word on the wire is that more information about this year's CitizenCon event is coming this week. Keep your eyes on the main website for news on tickets and more in the days ahead. Now, I did check literally two minutes before this podcast on both the comms link and in Spectrum, and I did not see anything about CitizenCon. So as of Thursday, 8 p.m. Central, 
There is no updates on CitizenCon, but again, you'll probably hear it from me first on socials when we find out anything on CitizenCon, because my brother and I already have tickets to like the flight tickets or plane tickets. We're going to be there with or without sea tickets. So there you go. Now let's see what's going on this week. Uh, I kind of went up through this on the agenda, uh, but Tuesday is the latest edition of Whitley's Guide uh, covering the Tumbrel Cyclone, originally appearing in Jump Point 6.08. Uh, from being a frontier explorer to a frontline fighter, the Cyclone has a long and illustrious history as one of the Empire's most popular ground vehicles. Now, what I did do, you'll see this on YouTube, um, I have like three pages of, of lore. We're not going to go through every single paragraph. <laughs> uh, I did that for you. So I have a bunch of notes on like things to take away from the article, but you know where to go if you want to read the entire Galaxtopedia input on the Tumbral Cyclone. So we'll cover that in a second. On Wednesday, the latest roadmap updates will be published alongside the roadmap roundup. We also uh, will also post last week's Squadron 42 monthly report newsletter as a comm link. Again, we'll touch on like high level, but we will probably read everything about Squadron 42. So I think I, I got some good feedback last week for doing the same, uh, but we'll go quickly through Squadron 42. Thursday kicks off this year's Alien Week. We'll post a comm link uh, with all the otherworldly details on contest offerings, and more. Thursday's episode of Inside Star Citizen will join in the festivities of Alien Week as well, along with an update on the upcoming Miss Cole C. Break. Go watch that YouTube video. I was not excited about the whole C until I saw the video, and there is a lot to like about the whole C. A lot of questions. I have a lot of outstanding questions on what I saw, um, logistics and kind of how it's going to operate, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. We'll also have our Tumbrel Storm Q&A post ready uh, with your burning questions on Tumbrel's newest tank answered by our vehicle team. We will cover those Q&As um, as well. And then on Friday, this is tomorrow on the podcast, so nothing to cover, but huge. The narrative team is going to join Citizen Live, or Star Citizen Live, which this being predominantly a lore podcast, I can't wait for tomorrow. Um, but unfortunately, I don't have anything to add until next week whenever I get to recap. So I will be recapping that next week. And then last but not least, Sunday again. Sunday is going to be uh, the bar Citizen. So without further ado, let's let's get in to this week and beyond the verse. Let's get into the Galaxtopedia update and Wiggly's guide. I will go ahead and share my screen. Uh, if you are watching on YouTube, obviously you'll have access and you will see it. Uh, but let's get into the Cyclone. This is a really good article. And again, I'm not going to cover everything verbatim, uh, but some of the high point takeaways. I am huge on timeline like for me dates are important don't know why uh, there's not really like a substantial reason i just like having dates and kind of where it sits in our time capsule lineup right so important dates <clears throat> 2536 the tumbrel introduced the dx20 dx20 was their first model their test model it was their first uh, attempt at getting a ground vehicle out and deployed Okay, a year later, the DX20 becomes available on the open market. So 2537, available on the open market. 
about six years later in 2543, it, uh, it became prevalent during the first battle of the Argon Chain. So the Argon Chain, again, it, it's a battle, but there's a, there's a direct story on how the military used the Cyclones uh, or the DX-20s, converting them to a military vessel and how they used them to help in that battle. So we'll actually read that paragraph because I think it's a very awesome paragraph. In 2862, Tumbrel as we knew it, Tumbrel closed down its facilities, um, giving most of its intellectual property and physical property over to Argo and Misk, right? And then in 2946, again, a very important date inside Star Citizen lore, uh, but 2946, two people revitalized the Cyclone. They took the Cyclone, they even put it under the Tumbrel's brand and basically recreated what we know of the Cyclone today. There's five models. We'll talk about each one of the articles. So again, we'll talk about the battle. We'll talk about the art, the, uh, the six, the five Cyclones that are available to us now. So let's get into it. Battle proven, here we go. The vehicle's first, right here. To the article. The vehicle's first moment of glory occurred in early 2543 during fighting that would later be named the First Battle of the Argon Chain. A hastily equipped UPE Army unit operating armed cyclones found themselves with the high ground to overtake a significantly stronger Tavarian tank division. Colonel A.J. Crate, who would be awarded the Medal of Honor for his actions, devised a strategy that allowed his limited forces to destroy or capture the entire enemy complement. Crate ordered a third of his cyclones to the left and right flanks alongside the Argon range, making sure that they took care to make their position easily visible to the enemy. Meanwhile, he positioned another contingent of cyclones armed with rockets along the ridge itself, allowing them to act as makeshift artillery firing into the divided Tavarn forces in the valley below. His third group of cyclones remained camouflaged directly in the center of the battlefield, springing them and the rocket support only after the Taverans seemed to believe they were assured victory. With one signal, Crate sprang the trap and engaged the Tavaran tanks in a close range, head-on battle. There, the handling of the cyclones proved vital. While Tavaran tanks had trouble targeting at such close range, the Cyclones were able to maneuver through and around them during three hours of intense, almost face-to-face -face fighting. The battle was closely recorded by a group of embedded reporters, and the outcome made for a major propaganda victory. Additionally, several Tavaran tanks were captured whole, allowing essential research into enemy weapons which helped turn the tide during the early days of the war. Break. So I thought that was a really awesome story about, I don't know, when I think Star Citizen, I think getting into a massive ship, a Carrick, a Javelin, um, and just flying and, and basically running operations out of space. I actually don't have a lot of ground vehicles. I do have the RSI Lynx, I celebrate it. I think it's an amazing addition to the constellation, but I don't, I don't really like pay a lot of attention to the ground vehicles. However, the more I get into like higher level bunker missions, 
like a mercenary, one of my favorite categories of, um, of missions to do in the game. When I get into some of that, like I, I land far away on purpose now, and I do take a ground vehicle to get me the rest of the way. And just that kind of role play, it's not really needed for the 15,000 UEC missions, but for the 20,000 UEC missions, the tourists will start firing at you and you've got to land at a far distance. So you need it then. But it actually, like, it just adds flavor to the game. There's something about flying your, like, for me, it's the MSR. I fly the MSR about a thousand meters away, a click away. And in the back, I do have cyclones. And I'll take a cyclone out and drive the rest of the way, do what I need to do in the bunker, get back on my cyclone, go back to the MSR and the MSR, and I take off. Right? It's a very awesome loop. It's a very realistic loop. But reading this article about the battle, it's like I absolutely can see that happening. Like I can see when they start introducing alien races actually in Star Citizen. I can see where that track, that click that you're having to travel from the MSR to the bunker could be combative. It could be hostile. And I think that is where these ground vehicles can truly take off um, and be extremely valuable in one's fleet. Back to the article. <clears throat> I just want to cover the actual fight. There's, again, great lore. You can see it on my screen. Great lore to read. Um, but the civilian models, to the article, the civilian models are based largely on aftermarket upgrades used by frontiersmen in the 28th century. They are the Cyclone, <clears throat> excuse me, the Cyclone, the base model, almost identical to the military model, aside from the removal of some armored plating and classified control surfaces. The Cyclone AA, or Alpha Alpha, the anti-aircraft model. The AA is armed with surface-to-air missiles and a set of countermeasures. It's a nod to the makeshift artillery version used at the Argon chain, though it is nominally equipped for light air defense rather than ground strikes. Number three, the Cyclone RC, the racing model. The RC is stripped down and has been given a modified intake system to improve speed and handling. It's an attempt to modernize the sport of buggy racing popular among colonists on distant worlds without access to more organized entertainment. Number four, the Cyclone RN, or the Reconnaissance. It's intended for prospectors and other explorers who need access to fast and detailed in-person scans. It's armed with additional sensors and it's configured for beacon deployment. The Cyclone TR, or the heavy of the group, the Cyclone TR includes upgraded armor and a civilized human-controlled turret that can mount a small gun. The TR is primarily sold to frontier worlds facing the threat of Vandal raids. So yeah, again, like I can see a purpose. I can see a, a gaming session that would involve every single one of those. Um, and that excites me. Like my brother and I, like there's one of the cyclones that has the back gutted out and you can use them for box missions. I used to think the mule was the only ground vehicle that you could really utilize for box missions, but no, you can actually use one of the cyclones. Um, I would prefer the mule, just a preference, <laughs> but the cyclone is a very valuable ship all around. 
All right. So I thought that was a great, I thought that was a great article. Um, again, I, I love the lore that supports these, these, these maybe small things like the cyclobin ground vehicle. Do we need a whole backstory? No, but if you're into the world and immersion, it has to have a backstory. It has to, if you believe in true immersion, it has to have a backstory. And I love that they tie it into the first Tavarin war. I love how they tie in the politics, the economy of it being ran dry and them going out of business essentially. And two individuals, two high prominent, very well off, wealthy individuals bringing it back to life. I think it's a great story to really get into. And again, three pages worth of lore to get into. Let's get into Wednesday, the roadmap roundup, and I'm going to go back to sharing my screen. So we'll just cover the uh, roadmap roundup. Again, this is uh, kind of a summary, a high level as, as to why, um, why what is being released, maybe what is added, what is removed. So let's get into the article. Happy Wednesday, everyone. Every two weeks, we accompany the roadmap update with a brief explanatory note to give you insight into the decision making that led to any changes. All right, let's move on. <laughs> That's exactly what I just said. Notable changes for June 14th. In the release view, which we'll go into next, the following card has been added to the Alpha 3.2, uh, 3.20 column on release view. Wheeled vehicle handling improvements. Updates and improvements to current ground vehicle movement parameters and simulation, allowing for more robust tuning and identity between various ground vehicles. I know this makes a lot of the racing individuals extremely happy. Like Atmos Sports, there's a couple of other content creators that are very excited about ground vehicle racing. Here you go. Great improvements. There's going to be awesome um, additions to what that driving experience looks like. But if you're not into racing, this still impacts the rest of ground vehicle handling. So any sort of improvement there, I'll take. Um, I actually don't have an issue with how it currently is. So again, any improvement, it's just going to be icing on the cake, in my personal opinion. To the progress tracker, with this published, we're beginning to add the Q4 2023 schedule for upstream teams, with additional teams being added in subsequent publishes. The following deliverables have been added to the progress tracker. The Mirai Fury, building, implementing, and balancing Mirai Snub Fighter, the Fury, as a game-ready vehicle. Tumbrel Storm, building, implementing, and balancing Tumbrel's light tank, the Storm, as a game-ready vehicle. And it says that's all for this week, but let's actually get into the release view. I've already broken down the the uh, the article here or the column here. So 319 released May 16th. Again, today was 319.1. We'll get into the launch announcements um, here in a couple minutes. But 320 did see something new added to it. So you've got your gameplay 10 entries. Nothing has really changed there. So tentative for Q3, we've got ship trespass, new mission retrieve consignments, and then you have eight area commander updates. So we're not gonna go through all that. Did it a couple episodes ago. Into the ships and vehicles, you got the whole sea, right? Which again, Inside Star Citizen this past week, or literally today, 
uh, has a great video. Half of it was dedicated to the whole C. We'll take a look at that in a second. But the Miss whole C is still on target to launch in 320. And then the, here's the wheeled vehicle uh, handling improvements, right? And if you click on it, it opens up a little bit more of a descriptor. It says updates and improvements to current ground vehicle movement parameters and simulation, allowing for more robust tuning and identity between various ground vehicles. So again, 320 doesn't really, I don't know. I, mean, I have mixed emotions about 320. Um, I think we still don't know a lot about retrieve consignment. So I want to get excited about that. It's another, it's another mission, right? It's another thing for us to really get into, try something new, take a new ship out and experience something. So I, I, I want to get excited about retrieve consignment. Area commander or arena commander is going to be fun. It's, which by the way, PSA, during Alien Week, go to the Vandal Swarm. And if you succeed at the Vandal Swarm, you have the chance of buying um, the Vandal Glaive or the, the Asperia Glaive. So arena commander has its purpose, <laughs> it has its fun, it has its functionality inside of Star Citizen. Um, but I don't know, like the whole sea, as amazing as it was to watch, as, as much as I believe in what that ship is and what it can do, it's just not my cup of tea. Like when I think hauling cargo, I unfortunately go to the Banu Merchantman, I go to the Kraken, Privateer, um, or heck, even, even just the base Kraken, but I go to that kind of mercantile hauling like that's the way my mind operates like running an 18 wheeler doesn't really do it for me so i don't know i'm trying to get excited about it but 320 just might be one of those releases for me personally that i'm like hey great progress in the game it'll win a whole side of the community over i have zero doubts going to clear my throat i know we're on live i'm going to clear my throat real quick Love it. Podcasting is fun. Okay. Let's get into the Squadron 42 monthly report. And this is this is important. And the reason why the reason why I love going into these monthly reports, especially for Squadron 42, is exactly what I started out with talking about tonight. It's like we had a bunch of emotional reaction about Starfield coming out. It's not the same thing. Starfield has base building it has ship customization it has a bunch of things to get excited about but when you watch squadron 42's cinematic trailer and you see the story that's being told and you see what is possible even with the single player aspect of it when you see what is possible with what they're trying to do i just think it's it's still two different things it's two different initiatives not one is better or worse than the other. It's just two different games entirely. So let's talk about Scourgeon 42. And let's talk about what is happening or what the latest uh, updates are. So again, we're gonna go through quickly. It's not as long as the last monthly report, but I'm gonna read through this for our podcast listeners um, to get your latest and greatest information from us. So here we go, first section, AI content. Throughout May, AI content progressed with the remaining medical behavior tasks. Following this, the full medical flow can now be demonstrated in the behavior test map. 
Additional animation variations for interacting with cupboards, beds, trays, and sinks were created as well. Once signed off, the behavior will be implemented in the Stanton and Krugerize infirmaries. Krugerize? Krugerize? I don't know. The AI content team continue to work on the Fight Club Caged Arena. Yes. Last month, implementing the entry, bouncer, and rush animations for crowd spectators. Why does that sentence excite me so much? Heck yeah, dude. Fight Club. All right, I just broed out some bro science here on the podcast. For the latter, the crowd's intensity varies pre, mid, and post fight. As part of this, speed quality fight animations were developed with data coming from a recent motion capture shoot. The team also worked on speed processed locomotion animations for NPCs experiencing severe pain. Part of this involved implementing animations for characters standing and locomoting while exhibiting sickness. They then processed and implemented polished drinking animations into the SIT 050 usable area and created speed drunk locomotion animations for inebriated NPC movements. Drunk locomotion animations were also created for NPCs holding cups. Why do I feel like the A the AI content team just had like a field day with this last this last update? Like, let's go to a bar, let's get drunk, let's like find out what animations we need to create. Uh, I can see that a lot of field work was done <laughs> to figure out what they were going to be doing. Zero doubt. Finally, AI content implemented Moby Glass and Datapad overlay locomotion animations to allow characters to seamlessly interact with digital interfaces. Moving on, AI features. AI features continued work on the Buddy AI. Now buddies cheat when finding supplies, looting ammunition that doesn't match their current weapon. They will also fully restock when they do so, replenishing their grenades and medpin. They also finished the first pass of a boss fight that challenges players to counter or block before they can attack. While progress was made on the targeting and melee attacks for a key enemy behavior. AI features implemented the core components of systemic and boss fight sniper functionality, enabling the designers to finish it off and provide feedback. On the animation side, the team wrapped up the performance capture for various features and implemented the full animation set for a collection of characters with a unique combat style. That's awesome. I mean, you know, what's funny is when I think about Squadron 42, I don't think about boss fights. I think about like dog fighting and very intricate, um, taking down hard points and then maybe boarding that station after you take down the hard points and then now becomes like a Call of Duty and you're fighting on the station or on the ship. Like I see that being kind of the boss fight mentality. But as you just heard me say, there's like legit boss fights that they're that they're working through. So super interesting. Can't wait to see it. AI Tech. Last month, AI Tech progressed with their final major Squadron 42 features and addressed feedback on older initiatives. They continued to improve the collision avoidance system to give better results when ground vehicles pass each other or NPCs. They also added support for driving along a predefined route, similar to how NPCs can move along a path. For this case, the designers can specify certain properties for the route, like the maximum permitted speed, which direction it should be driven, and if it should loop. Work then began on a dynamic path dynamic pathfinding regeneration feature to improve how NPCs find and follow alternative routes. 
For example, if a hazard, like tree falling, vehicle stopping, fire hazard, impacts a navigation mesh triangle, the navigation volume will notify all related paths and check if new requests are submitted. The first stage of this was implementing an anchor structure to keep track of a location's navigation mesh uh, and triangles, which is notified when a triangle is changed. These navigation anchors are then used to understand when parts of a triangle are modified and to check if new pathfinding is needed. This is kind of where my brain starts turning off. <laughs> like, I, I know it's great. Like, I, I understand what they're saying. I just, I don't have a lot of, like, additional color to add. May also saw AI tech begin investigating and implementing a solution for NPCs entering and exiting ships from EVA using the external doors of an airlock system. For this, they set up ship and seat access as a usable to allow NPCs to find their closest entry position, fly to it, and trigger the right interaction. They also had to account for a ship's rotational velocity and allow NPCs to adjust their orientation as they approach. Now, as I read that, I'm pretty sure we read the exact same thing in the last monthly report, which just goes to prove that a win in Squadron 42 is a win in Star Citizen. It's, it's almost as if I, I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Next paragraph. On the AI tools side, improvements continue for both the usable coordinator and Apollo subsumption. For the usable coordinator, optimizations were made to the code and logic flow. They updated the visuals and changed to a new usable data view as well. For Apollo, the team implemented find references functionality with support for subsumption functions. AI Tech also completed various support tasks, including creating flow graph nodes for all subsumption assignments to help the designers create scripted AI behaviors. More variable types for use as assignment inputs were added alongside support for the usable and tactical point systems. AI vehicle features. The vehicle team progressed with their ongoing rework of combat AI. Last month, they hooked up various events for the AI to react to across the game. This is the final step before integrating the new combat AI into all encounters across Squadron 42. Quote, after that, it's playtesting over and over again in situ. In situ? I don't know what that means in the levels of the game so we can judge and adjust difficulty pacing and so on to fine to the experience end quote ai team the team also improved the logic for how ai ships join splines and make it smoother and more natural looking ground avoidance during atmospheric flight was also worked on the aim is to have ai try their best to not collide with the ground when in combat while behaving as naturally as possible animation in May, the animation team worked on various skill-level-based takedowns, movement in zero-g, and swimming. For AI, the team continued creating assets for background actions to give life to various locations. This will continue as levels are playtested. A second enemy class animation style was developed alongside a knife fight and a melee enemy class. The team also continued to create assets for the various behavior lines and wild lines for both combat and non-combat AI. The mocap team spent the majority of the month shooting performances and delivering data for gameplay and cinematics. Engine. I'm going quick, guys. Here we go. The core engine team progressed with their work on StarBuild, <clears throat> adding the remaining Linux support. StarBuild is now on feature party with the old code build system and will be rolled out to other departments soon. For the renderer, the team started removing legacy Gen 12 code. 
there's a lot to remove, but this will result in leaner and easier to maintain renderer code when complete. The Core Engine team also progressed with the generic shape system, adding editor support to save generic as well as remaining shapes. Multiple segments will be added before it's handed to the designers to use. For Memory Play 2.0, the team are currently adding more features, including file open dialog, faster loading, and async symbol resolving to get it ready for wider use. They're also adding optimizations and continuing to stabilize their feature stream to integrate it back into the main development stream. Last month, the physics team focused on improving and bug fixing, bug fixing the new method for tracking unique geometry parts. They then improved class simulation for better simulation results, updated the rope and pulley systems, and added cantilever simulation support. I have nothing to add there. Yeah, again, the engine. So a lot of the AI back tech or the tech um, support, I can't really speak much to. The engine, I can't really speak much to. The work I've done with Amazon Game Studios is more community. It's more kind of narrative team and design. Uh, a little bit of the programmatic or producer side of things, but this intricate like tech side, yeah, it's like way over my head. Features, gameplay. Last month, the gameplay features team updated the character customizer. This included adding a new sculpting mode that allows players to select and drag an anchor point on the face to change the size and shape of a particular facial zone, such as the nose, ear, and chin. Break. That's actually really cool. I liked in Starfield, I liked the robust character development that you have at the very beginning, choosing your, your race, religion, your personality traits, but I didn't see a lot of this customization. So here you go, win for Squadron 42, the customization of your own face. Love it. Back to the article. Further detailing work was done on the firing range, mostly around joining and leaving. Feedback was also actioned on the UI to integrate it better onto the environment or into the environment. A new collectible was created that players will be able to find, pick up, and stow during gameplay. These items will then populate the player's quarters as part of the collectible system. The front end also received, hold on. I love that idea. I know it's done in a lot of other games, but I love having like my own player's quarters. Now, yes, in Starfield, you're gonna have your own base, you can live on your ship. So again, other games do this, but there's something appealing about Squadron 42 also doing this, where you have like a home base, if you will, but it makes you wanna go out and get those collectibles because they're going somewhere. I think it's brilliant. I first experienced that in like Elder Scrolls Online, where you would go and you would find these items and you could bring them into your house and decorate your house with them. That inspired me or encouraged me to go out and find these things I wouldn't normally find otherwise. I wouldn't spend the hours to get something if I didn't want that item in my house. So I think it's a great, I think it's a great idea. Back to the article. The front end also received a new difficulty option. This exposes various modifiers to the AI, health, and weapon attributes to allow the design team to balance the game depending on the player's desired experience. A new feature to allow the designers to create and save damaged maps was created as well, which enables them to apply pre-damaged areas to ships. Following on from the recent star map work, the team is now developing the area map. 
This will render a holographic view of a player's current environment, either from within the star map or as part of the visor, uh, with markers for players, characters, mission objectives, and more. Vehicle Features Team. Last month, work continued on the Control Service flight model. The team implemented special handling for ships in gas-filled zero-g locations, such as gas clouds. While ships still favor thrusters in this situation, they will experience drag and lift that slightly impacts how they feel. Vehicle features also iterated on UI and VFX for communicating the quantum system state. They also began utilizing in-world VFX for this purpose, which allowed them to pare back the UI. The feedback on this has been positive so far. A new feature for spawning waves of AI ships inside carriers was kicked off, similar to an FPS spawn closet. Now, AI will spawn on landing pads within carriers, take off, and join the fight. This feature can be used to support large battles by naturally spawning ships. The Intelligent Flight Control System, or IFCS, received updates last month. For example, the team worked on, on bespoke relative throttle that allows players to assign a target velocity when the throttle is untouched. Various quality of life, QOL, improvements were made to support this, including a trap for setting target speed to zero, a nonlinear rate of change for improved precision at lower speeds, and an improved UI for displaying the throttle. Work on the vehicle UI continued with the team creating a physical hangar terminal for modifying a ship's loadout before missions. This enables players to view an inventory of available weapons and items, compare them against each other, and equip them to the ship and hangar. The multifunction displays, or MFDs, also received various updates, including a UI pass to make them larger, simpler, and easier to read. The new MFD system also allows players to cast some screens to their visors, with the team changing the layout and aspect ratio of the screens when this occurs. This makes better use of screen space and allows certain elements to be more prominent. Furthermore, after the work last month, MFDs were enabled for wider use in the company. Alright, my favorite section. Here we go. Gameplay story. Last month, the gameplay story team worked on various scenes involving the Stanton's Quartermaster. These updates were requested by design, with the goal of getting the scene to integrate properly with the AI behavior. New motion captured data was used to update some significant scenes in the med bay, ensuring characters interact correctly with the latest swiveling chair setup. Quote, it was great to see these scenes updated to use exactly the same setup as the AI, which should make the scenes very robust and future-proof." End quote. Gameplay Story Team In May, Gameplay Story began setting up eight new scenes, bringing their total to 290. I wish I knew the relativity of that. Bringing their total of scenes to 290. They also polished, pose, pasted, and updated props in several scenes to ensure they were fully up to date. 290 sounds like a lot. Again, I have nothing to go off of. I'll probably do some research and find out, <laughs> but it seems like a lot. The team also continued to set up operator seats, working to establish proper metrics and solid foundations for these complicated assets. Automated testing of the entities achieved a 100% pass rate, so they can move on to reviewing, improving, and approving the required animations. Graphics and VFX programming. 
The graphics feature team spent the month working on performance improvements and new features, including screen space shadows, improvements to quantum jump tunnels, and render detector zone culling. A GPU memory allocator and an upgraded resource cache compiler were among the new performance boosting upgrades, while the evolving temporal super resolution, an automated upscaling system that can now upsample opaque objects, officially passed its first milestone. Global elimination is well underway. So far, the first iterations of a hash map-based radiance cache, ray generation code, and a ray tracing prototype were completed. Improvements to Gen 12's validation error debugger were made to improve the accuracy of bug detection for faster issue assessment. In preparation for deferred render graph execution, Vulkan's frame synchronization was improved. Issues with gaps and pipeline resources sets at bind time were resolved with a remapping update that uses continuous resource set layouts. The Planet Tech team started finalizing quantum obstacle generation with generic shapes and asteroid fields. A collision issue detector and wear, dirt, and paint modifiers were also added to the Rastar tool. Ongoing improvements to the biome builder will reduce constant spawn despawning, which in turn will relieve the physics team of large destruction queues. Water can now be simulated in-engine and features the new disturbance component improvements. Last, VFX finished the new effects setup for quantum travel and are now looking into lighting. Lightning emitters are being refactored <clears throat> to decouple from targeting and the team is investigating how to use current prototypes to spawn lightning from gas clouds, a crash that occurred when particle emitters attempted to resize using a buffer of zero was also fixed. All right, for those of you on podcast, level design, narrative, R&D, UI, VFX. Let's go. Clearing my throat again on live podcast. I'm dying over here. Dying. All right, level design. Last month, Love Design focused on their two main locations, the Stanton and Krugerai capital ships. Alongside general scene maintenance and bug fixing, they looked into scene handshakes that transition NPCs into their required behaviors. This involves ensuring characters are prepped to transition, are pose matched, and have holstered held items and more. They also updated the Stanton's quartermaster scenes to reflect the visited, I'm sorry, to reflect the revised AI vendor flow without negatively affecting performance. The team then continued to work on the AI schedules for the Stanton, which has an 80-person crew playing out various behaviors around the ship. Quote, with this rollout, we have to keep tabs on NPCs gate crashing scene content. For example, if the player is in a somber scene with a colleague discussing the horrors of war, we don't want an NPC barging in with a hello lieutenant and jumping onto a console. End quote, level design team. Narrative. In May, Narrative held a performance capture shoot focusing on additional combat and social well lines. The goal was to capture a wide variety of voices to populate the universe while also maximizing the effectiveness of the content so that it remains within a reasonable scope. Narrative also synced <laughs> almost a desynced. Narrative also synced with design on their recent gameplay progress to review adjustments and ensure that dialogue continues to function as intended. In some instances, the team made suggestions on how the revised gameplay scenarios could better align with the emotional tone of the moment. For example, 
If a puzzle scenario occurs during a particularly stressful sequence of the game, narrative and design will discuss ways to maintain the emotional underpinning during the puzzle. Meanwhile, progress continued on the text items needed across the entirety of the game, including collectibles, Galactopedia entries, and MobiGlass UI elements. Research and development. Three more sections. In May, the research and development team continued improving the temporal render mode for atmospheric and volumetric clouds. Additionally, planetary terrain height map generation was optimized to eliminate frame rate hitches. Aside from using a more suitable partitioning scheme for the tessellation of terrain patches, the changes also include terrain quad viewport culling before further tessellation by the GPU. The resulting height maps are later used to render large terrain shadows and to spawn GPU particles on the ground. User Interface The user interface art and design teams completed their work on modular fluff screens getting them set up in different UI styles for various locations. They're now ready to be handed over to the art and FPS teams so they can be added to levels. They also implemented new FPS weapon screens for the different brands within the game and worked alongside the FPS and vehicle teams in augmented reality, AR markers, which are floating UI elements that show players where their objectives and targets are. Last month, the art was signed off and the files were prepared for use in game. Work on the final visor UI also continued with the AI features team. This will include weapons and ammunition information, notifications, and mission objectives. They also applied improved shaders, courtesy of the graphics team, to make the UI appear more holographic. The UI tech team continued to improve their tools, including making performance improvements and adding additional ways to debug the more complex screens. They also further developed the new interior and mini-maps, which will bring a significant improvement to in-game navigation. Last section, visual effects. Last month, VFX revisited gas cloud tunnels, working closely with design and art to create new hazards that can occur inside the tunnel networks. Progress was also made on weapon effects, while support for the art design teams continued across a variety of locations. We'll see you next month in transmission. Woo. All right. That is a lot of Intel, a lot of Intel. Um, and again, good Intel. I'm not going to be a broken record and say, you know, a win for this is a win for that. It's interesting information. And if you have any desire of getting into the gaming industry, um, you're going to want to learn pretty much everything I just talked about. <laughs> if you don't know it, go learn it. Um, knowing how to talk the language. If you want to be a producer, it's basically a program manager among game engineers and technicians, right? Like not to simplify, not to oversimplify the role, but you've got to be able to speak the language and know what every single part of the game cog of the machine is doing right so i think it's great intel it's fun it's really interesting to get into this level of detail for a game like star citizen when you see starfield come out and you're like i mean cool it looks fun it looks groundbreaking but you don't really have the background on how they did it for me personally the background is what makes most of being an alpha backer of star citizen so much fun or so intriguing all right we're just now getting into today. 
right? And like, this is why I took out the lore deep dive for today. Cause like, we have four minutes left, <laughs> which we are going to go over, but we have four minutes left and we're just now on Thursday. So yeah. So <laughs> let's get into alien week, shall we? Sharing my screen for those on YouTube, uh, alien week. There is a lot to unpack here. Now it's between you and me, like it's no different than really any other event. It's not like this is groundbreaking or a brand new ship was introduced, but it is exciting. Like we don't have a lot in the game about the Vandal Tavari. Like we have gangs, right? We have um, the Xeno threat. Like we have, we have those, again, the gangs that have been discussed that exist in Stanton, and we have them discussed in Pyro, but we haven't been able to interact or fight with like the Tavarin, or well, we wouldn't really fight them, but the Vanduul, right? Uh, we don't have the Banu or the Xion to interact with. So when we do get Alien Week, we at least get access to the ships, and it starts making this Star Citizen world feel... I must say real and <laughs> possible, uh, I think might be the better way of putting it. So I just wanted to go through and show y'all kind of what, what was released today. So Alien Week, Alien Week 2023, which I'm actually surprised they used 2023 and not like 2953. Like that's, I feel like that's like off brand for them. Um, but again, you're going to have access to all the, uh, all the ships, right? So, or at least access to buy all the ships. It's not like you can fly them all for free. It's not a free fly event in that sense. Um, so I did bring this up earlier in the podcast, the Banu Tholo that I think is, is handed out like on a card, just like that Banu box was uh, for those who attended CitizenCon and for those who are attending Bar Citizen. I got my Banu box um, when I met Galactica and Jake Acapella at the Austin Bar Citizen. I'm thinking this is probably the same thing, but let me just, I'll just read, um, and it's gonna be brought up twice, but I'll read kind of the lore behind the Banu Tholo, and then on the next slide or the next page, it'll go through kind of how to acquire it. So the Banu Tholo, uh, a frivolous novelty or fortune's key. The Banu Tholo, a long prized souvenir to commemorate journeys through the Protectorate, a mysterious portent of fate, and a way to pass the time while traveling long distances. What is it exactly? And more importantly, how does it work? Be sure to check out the upcoming lore post to find out. <laughs> so, okay, there might be a lore post. I don't know but it almost looks like a fidget spinner, right? Like it almost looks like one of those, like you, you, you know, your kids play with or hell you might even play with it, but the, like the kids fidget spinner, it almost looks like that. And then the words you can kind of see on the screen here, but on each one of the wings, there's um, like the Banu language, but I saw in another picture, it actually has human language. So I think it's almost like an eight ball. I think it's like an eight ball where the the words will change and that's how you test your fortune. It's almost like you spin it and what you're trying to find populates in those areas. I don't know, it's hard to explain, especially when you have no intel on it. So I thought that was interesting. Um, Inside Star Citizen, there's a video, half of it again was whole C, but the first half was on the Santak Yai, I don't, 
I wish I knew how to say it. We'll get into that in a couple seconds, but a failed gray box. So we're not going to be able to fly it, I say, anytime soon. It might be this year, but it's not not anytime soon. Probably Q3, Q4. Um, so that's that's a thing. So this first article that came out was more kind of like the lore behind Alien Week, what to expect. I'm going to leave it on screen share as I switch over. This is the actual like pledge store uh, page. And all this is found in your comms link. So you go to comms link and there's two separate articles for Alien Week. But these are the ships for all humans. Uh, ships for humans. So the the video, like the commercial for it, it it's almost, um, I have nothing against this, but it's kind of hokey. It's, uh, it's very like cartoonish. They try to have like humor, uh, which again is, is, is fine. Like I have no problem with that, that model. Um, but it does seem like, you know, the pictures that you're seeing here, they're bright and colorful. Um, when I think of like the alien races, I'm thinking of like the Van Duel that are just murdering the crap out of humans. I don't think colorful kind of humor suits the alien ships. So again, for me, it's kind of off brand a little bit or maybe off what I would think like, I don't know, a Van Duel glaive should probably not have a bright pink background. This is the Talon Shriek, I know, but that's my point. My point stands. All right. Um, here's the writing tholo. So see how these words, it went from the Banu script to the word run. So that's where I'm kind of thinking this is like an eight ball. It's an eight ball fidget spinner, right? You spin it and it comes out with these like words. This one's telling the user to run. But this is why I think it's bar citizen. So on this page, writing tholo, here's the script. Having trouble deciding which ship should be your next, freedom of choice, driving you dangerously insane. Use mysterious Banu Tholo to choose for you. Available when you attend human gatherings in local canteen. Available when you attend human gatherings in local canteen. So that is where all of my surmising comes from. I'm thinking that's like in real life, like a bar citizen. That's what I think, because I'm pretty sure it's not saying go to like Area 18's bar settings and find it there. Maybe. I don't think so. I think it's actually like a card that you get um, that you can submit as a code into your hangar and get the FPS item. My two cents. The last thing I want to do, I'm going to take a couple of seconds and yes, I'm going to brag. So I'm going through... <laughs> I'm kind of demonstrate my thought process here. I'm going through these pictures, 11 vehicles, and I'm like, man, you know, the blade looks really good. The Defender looks really good. And then I get to this devastating Vandal muscle, the Glaive. And two things happen. One, I remember a poll that I created for my socials a couple days ago asking about who your favorite alien merchant uh, or uh, vendor was or whatever you want to call them, manufacturer. And I remember saying like Vandal only has a scythe. Vandal only has a scythe. And then a friend of mine sent me a video from like, I don't know, eight years ago, six years ago that they introduced like a Vandal capital ship. Absolutely. Take my money right now. 
That Vandal capital ship looked amazing. I would totally get it. It was like something off of Independence Day. It was amazing. But then I came across this and I'm like, well, shit. <laughs> there, there's more ships. And I'm like, why in the world have I not seen this before? I went into the pledge store and went into ships and you can't search the glaive unless you unlock it by beating arena commander's vandal swarm so just like the pirate swarm can unlock the pirate gladius and the pirate caterpillar the vandal swarm allows you access to the glaive the asperia glaive but it's based off of vandal the vandal glaive i absolutely love this thing i mean it's 350 freaking bucks um, it's expensive and it's probably not worth it for a medium fighter I mean, hell, it's more expensive than the Scorpius. And I'm sorry, there's no better fighter than the Scorpius. Just as an aside, on my tweet that I said, hey, I did this and I got the Glaive, I got 40 kills and the next person below me had like 18 kills. The Scorpius is hands down, like, unbelievable, even as a solo ship. I digress. But this is more expensive than the Scorpius. So I don't know if I really buy into that. Um, I don't know if it's worth the 350 other than its rarity. But I will say this. There is a video in 2020 that shows the current state of alien ships and what the future state or what the Squadron 42 versions are, but what the future state of Star Citizens alien ships are and they look amazing like incredible i can't wait for them to go ahead and make that change so if you're looking at my screen you're seeing all these like parts it almost looks like an alien like style ship but still with cannons and still with turrets that's not going to be the case in like the next version it's all one body it's like the turrets are part of the ship it's like a sentient living ship so you can't replace the cannons you can't replace the turrets but it looks seamless it looks like you're flying inside of a bird it's absolutely done amazing you should check it out i'll have a link in my socials that you can also look at it as well but i just wanted to share i just wanted to share that piece and speaking of polls before we get into 319 which happened today uh, hey, Conniff, welcome to the stream, buddy. Good seeing you. Speaking of polls, um, I do make it a point. I'm a very interactive content creator. I love polls. I thrive on that. Um, but several days ago, I asked, uh, with the Prowler being the June subscriber ship, I asked, uh, what is your favorite dropship? It, it, it's a dropship. That is what it is. There's a lot of complaints about the turret systems and how it's flying. Okay, legit, right? Those are legit concerns. But it's a dropship. And so I compared it to the other dropships that are that are actual dropships. I know you can use a Carrick as a dropship. A Carrick is not a dropship. You can use it as one. You can stuff 100 bodies in that garage if you wanted to, but it's not a dropship. It's not. Those are the Cutlass Steel, the Valkyrie, the Vanguard Hoplite and the Prowler. Those are your four dropships. And so I asked and it came out exactly how I thought it was going to. In first place, the Valkyrie was 77.8% of votes. 
Valkyries, that's my that's my personal favorite drop ship. It looks the best. It's human. Go figure. The next one was the Hoplite, which was surprising to me, but um, the Hoplite, 15.6%. So big difference from first place to second place. And then a very close third and fourth, with 4.4% going to the Prowler and only 2.2% going to the Cutlass Steel. So I thought that was a very polarized response to what your favorite dropship was. And then I asked four days ago, <clears throat> your favorite alien manufacturer, I alluded to this a couple minutes ago, who's your favorite alien manufacturer and star citizen in preparation for Alien Week? And this was very close, very close. So 38.6% was the winner. 38.6% went to Banu. That's yeah, that makes sense. The Banu Merchantman, the Defender, the Blade, those are all Banu ships, and they're, yeah. That was obvious to me. I thought it'd be higher than 38%, but 38.6%. In second place, uh, Tavarit, the Asperia, right? So there's your glaive, right? But the Asperia, the Tavarin came in 30%. Then you had the Shion, Apoa, Gatek, 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 um, the 18.6%, and then the Vandul, um, the Vandal, 12.9%. The Scythe would be a good example of that. So I thought those are very interesting to call out um, <laughs> as the polls. I've got another poll that went live tonight. Go check out my socials. Participate in it. Uh, I think it's a fun one. But with 319.1 dropping today, of course, I have to ask where your new favorite home is going to be. So I go, I, I rotate. And Conniff, who's actually in chat right now, can can attest. Um, I go from like starting location to starting location based off of whatever's happening. So this past patch, I chose Area 18 because of Invictus launch week. In this current patch, I chose like today, I chose Lorville in Hurston because I haven't seen the rework. It's been uh, several patches now, and I haven't seen the Lorville rework. So I'm going to go check it out later tonight. Tonight's like my org night. So I'm going to go check it out after the podcast. Um, but that should be exciting. Can't wait to see Hurston in its new revamped state. That being said, 319.1 did go live today. Um, it kind of surprised a, a lot of individuals. There was like no teaser. There was no heads up on it. Um, so it was exciting to see it drop, and it did a lot. Um, I'm not going to go through this whole entire article. We already did a lot of that earlier. But um, just quickly, it's been released to live. It's strongly recommended that players delete their user and shader folders for the public client after patching, particularly if you start encountering any odd character graphical issues or crash on loading. The user folder can be found uh, at this location, and they give you the, they give you the file location. The shader folders can be found here at this location. So there you go. Uh, I'm not going to read through everything. It did a lot. It fixed uh, it fixed a lot of stuff on the back end of the ASAP terminals. Um, I'm okay with that. Any help, any help that that my friends and my org, my family can get to get out of uh, organization or to get out of like area 18. Yes, we need it. So. <laughs> So I'm happy about 319.1 coming out, and right around the corner is 320. So exciting for that. And here we are in our last article for the night, the Q&A section for the Tumbral Storm. So 
I actually, I'm coming around to liking this. Like, there's something about like the smooth, the smooth aspect of it, like of it being a tank, but still looking kind of aesthetic and I don't know, nicer than the Nova. Um, I think I'm leaning more towards the Storm over the Nova if I were to get a tank. Right, this is a smaller tank, obviously. Uh, but let's talk real quick through the Q and A. This will go fast. What vehicles will the Storm fit inside the Carrick and Corsair? So, here you go. Um, so anything that supports them, however, its reduced height and length allow it to fit into some ships that cannot fit the above, such as the Anvil Carrick and Drake Corsair. It's good to know. The fact that that can fit in a Corsair is crazy to me. As the Storm is intended to be a smaller, fast assault vehicle, but it's also large that it currently only fits in vehicles that can transport the Nova Tank Atlas platform vehicles, where does it fit in the grand scheme of things? For example, in what scenarios will one be favored over the other? As mentioned above, here's the answer. While it has the same garage size, the Storm's dimensions allow it to be carried by many other ships, allowing for greater flexibility in terms of transport and deployment. The other two tanks, uh, or the other tanks operate vastly different roles. Sorry. The two tanks operate vastly different roles. The Storm is fast and lightly armored, while the Nova is much larger and slower, but packs more of a punch. Question. How fast is the Storm intended to be compared to the other ground combat vehicles? Answer. All stats are subject to change, so we won't, spe uh, we won't list specifics right now, but expect the Storm to be faster than the Nova and Atlas series and closer to the Ursa in speed. Now, that's, that's pretty damn fast. Uh, the Ursa is a, is a very fast vehicle, and if you're doing a tank like the Storm, that, that's exciting. That should be, like, fast and chaotic. That's something to look forward to. Question, what are the vertical plates supported by the struts? Decoration? Answer, rule of cool, decorative pieces. Though they are inspired by some modern world standoff armor panels uh, that deflect incoming rounds away from sensitive areas. So in the military, we call those rhino mounts. All right, so all my veterans listening to this podcast, you know what I'm talking about. It's called a rhino mount. It's something that you'd put on the front of your vehicle, and the whole point was it to kind of like take what was ever in front of the vehicle and spread it off to the sides so it wouldn't be something hitting the grill or hitting your wheelbase so there you go question the storm has clearly visible smoke sh uh, chef launchers chafe good lord smoke chafe launchers like those found on modern tanks will this vehicle have countermeasures like noise and flares answer yes it has a full suite of countermeasures moving on question what is tactical spec armor and how does it differ from the mill spec components that have been offered in the past answer this is just making a marketing phrase this is just a marketing phrase and has no special behavior in game the storm is as normally armored as you'd expect a tank of this role and type to be question how well defended is this tank compared to say the nova ursa or centurion and how does its armor fare in comparison answer in terms of durability, it sits between the Nova and Centuria and has significantly more than the Ursa. Question. As tanks are intended to be off-road vehicles, no shit, <laughs> will, will the low ground clearance of this model limit traversal? Does the tread configuration of the storm give it any sort of advantage when hitting obstacles on rough terrain? Answer. The Storm has relatively good ground clearance, especially compared to the Nova, and its design allows for much greater arrival-departure angles without hitting the hole. 
Keep going. Question. Will the, bes will the bespoke size 3 weapon have the same upskill damages for its size, similar to the other vehicles with unique weapons? For example, the size 5 Slayer Cannon for the Nova has 18,500 alpha damage, while other S5 Ballistic Cannons only deal 1,500. Answer. Yes, like the Nova, the size of the weapon doesn't truly follow the other systems given its bespoke nature, allowing for independent tuning, which puts it at a much higher alpha DPS than the number would normally be. Question. What about barrel elevation and depression? Considering the Nova's barrel can't depress far enough to aim a little downward, how does the storm fare? Answer. Again, all stats are subject to change, so we don't want to give exact numbers at this point. However, it is safe to say that the Storm's depression and elevation ranges are significantly better than the Nova, allowing you to hit things on the ground almost directly in front and to the side of the vehicle. To achieve this, the turret extends up a little when the vehicle powers on. Question, why just one size 3 weapon? Answer. This was also a, or this was an intentional design choice as the bespoke nature of the gun allows it to perform very strongly for its size. We didn't want the storm to be excessively overgunned or be too much for a sole driver to manage and fight with compared to other vehicles. Question, does it have any additional ways to fight off small targets like infantry since it doesn't have a size one anti-personal repeater? I don't even really want to answer that. Like, I know the answer to that. The answer, no, ideally like modern life, oh, this is funny. <laughs> no, ideally like modern life, you don't want infantry getting close to armored vehicles. But if you find yourself in this scenario, we'd recommend using the speed of the vehicle. Yeah. A tank or an up armored vehicle versus a human being, the up armored vehicle always wins. Run them over. Like, I don't know, run them over. Put that thing on like full throttle and run over the infantry. I say that with my first MOS being infantry. Let's move on. Question, is the driver's control of the turret restricted to the area in front of the vehicle or does it have proper 360 degree rotation? Answer, it has full 360 degree rotation allowing for views around the full vehicle. Question, the specs state that the storm has a remote-operated turret. Can the storm fire while in motion, or does it have to stop for the driver to enter the remote turret interface in order to fire? What is the arc of fire, both while driving and presumably while using the remote turret? Answer. Yes, the driver can control the turret while on the move or stationary. Whilst moving, the view limits are constrained to the front arc of the vehicle. When in remote view, you have the full 360-degree range. Two more questions. The brochure indicates there's a personal weapon storage, but the picture suggests there might be there might also be personal inventory space in the rear track. Is this the case? Answer. There's personal weapon storage in one of the front track housings and personal inventory space near the driver's entrance. The rear of the main body contains critical components, including the power plant, cooler, and shield generator while the other front track houses less critical components like the radar, computer, and battery. Last question. A single size zero power plant seems very underpowered when compared to other vehicles. Will this be sufficient to power not only the vehicle itself, but also its shields and bespoke energy autocannon? 
How do you intend to support this should a single power plant prove to be insufficient in the future? Answer. This is something we'll expand upon in the future, but the upcoming resource network changes have given us the opportunity to reevaluate sizes and quantities of items aboard all vehicles. So, newer vehicles can seem under spec relative to existing vehicles, but in reality, they will operate effectively as designed. Some vehicles will also have items reduced to be more in line with the upcoming changes. Boom. We did it. <laughs> we did it. What a great, great show. Um, again, today was a crazy day for almost an endless supply of information. Just gold nugget after gold nugget. As a content creator, um, it's a blessing and a curse. Because it all happened right before my show. And I'm like, <laughs> this is what happened. You know, I'm, I'm having to fumble. Uh, to make sure that we have the right information, applicable and relevant information. Unfortunately, as much as I love lore, the lore deep dives can wait. What can't wait is the relevance of the news that is dropping. So whether you're watching on YouTube or whether you are listening on podcast, I hope this finds you well. I hope it entertained you. I hope it gave you the information that you needed to have the latest and the greatest uh, knowledge or updates needed for Star Citizen. So we started off by talking about Starfield. I'm gonna wrap it up by talking about Starfield. It's okay to like other games. I can't wait for Starfield. Cannot wait for it. It's going to be amazing, a wonderful one-player experience. But mark my words, you're going to be halfway through Starfield and you're going to think, man, how awesome would it be if my brother, cousin, friend, sister was able to jump in and play alongside with me in this universe. And that's when that light bulb goes off and you realize that there is a game that does that and you're playing it in Star Citizen. So until next time, I hope this finds you well. Be kind. <laughs> Breathe before responding on social media. And enjoy the next seven days as you traverse in the verse. Take care, everybody. You've been listening to Beyond the Verse, Star Citizen podcast with your host, Solus. Join our in-game organization, Soul Provision, by applying at www.robertspaceindustries.com forward slash orgs forward slash provision. You can get involved in the conversation with your questions, comments, or emotional outbursts by emailing us at starcitizenbtv at gmail.com. Watch us live on Thursdays, 8 p.m. Central at youtube.com forward slash at starcitizenbtv and follow the conversation over at Twitter and Instagram both at forward slash star citizen btv once again thank you for joining us we hope this finds you well until next time safe travels as you traverse beyond the verse